I'm Natalie. I'm Emily. I'm Erica. And this is You, you Made it. it, a Goggleworks podcast. You Made It is a podcast exploring the living histories of creative communities, makers, and the things they make. In partnership with Pagoda City Records, we come to you from Goggleworks, one of the largest art centers in the country, located in a former goggle factory in Reading, PA. Well, hello. Hi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> so good to see you. I know. We've been on a little bit of a break. It's our first recording in the new year. Yes. Oh, wow. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. been a while. A little time capsule. Mm. So I think we should ask, Natalie, did you make it to the theater? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I made it to the theater. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> yes, I successfully attended the last screening, or not screening, I guess showing, of Danny in the Deep Blue Sea in New York City. You survived. This past Saturday. I, yeah, somehow I survived. <laughs> The journey. <laughs> yes. Did you fly in because of the, the high winds that weekend? <laughs> no, but there was an issue. The ferry was flooded. Oh. So there was no ferry. I had to take a train instead. That's like the last thing you want flooded. Yeah. Li- yeah. It was something. I got there and I was like, there's a lot of water around. This is great. No, not good. Opposite of good. But it was still fine. I got there. Cool. Yeah. How was your theater experience? It was good. It was really interesting because it was definitely a very old theater Mm. um and yeah it it was very small um and I was I'm a little bit shorter than the person who was sitting in front of me so I did have to kind of keep like weaving and bobbing to see Mm. (laughs) the stage in front of me but yeah it was very cool it's very close to the actors Mm. yeah Christopher Abbott and Aubrey Plaza so it was very fun were you freaking out the whole time like a little bit when they first came out (laughs) I was like she's not on tv like I've seen her in real life um but yeah, no, it was cool. Um, the guy next to me did start to open a beverage in the middle of the production, mm. and it started to go, and he kept going. And I, for a second, was like, "Oh my god, this man is going to try to open this beverage." And then it started to like explode a little. He said, "Oh, that's not going to work." And then he closed <laughs> the bottle and put it down. And I was like, "Sir," <laughs> I was like, "They tell you to not do that." Very explicitly, someone's phone went off during it as well. Mm. I forgot to say that earlier. Yeah. So other than that. I was pleasantly, you know. Yeah, surprised. check your phone, everyone. Set it to your phone, um, especially because it was like, I don't know, it's not a movie theater; mm-hmm. like, they can hear it. Right, <laughs> it's so crazy. But yeah, it was very. I would like to go back and do that more often now that I have successfully done it one time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was good. Now you're a New York pro. Yeah, I would. I'm basically a New Yorker now. <laughs> I could. I've lived there for my whole life. I was gonna say she's renting next week. Yeah, <laughs> Brooklyn apartment. Yeah, we're glad you made it back. <laughs> I did get a little bit lost on my way home. It's okay. Oh, it's over. My phone died, and like Gen Z, I don't have any way of navigating anything without my phone. Oh no! <laughs> so I was just like, figure it out, I guess. So there I was driving along seventy eight. My phone died. I said, oh, no. Dang. But I made it home. That's kind of scary. A little bit. It was very dark. If it hadn't been dark out, I would have been okay. Yeah. But Yeah. But yeah. So. 
<laughs> Managed to navigate New York, cannot navigate Pennsylvania, <laughs> where I've lived my whole life. <laughs> but it's okay. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> cool. Sounds about right. <laughs> Are we dovetailing over to introducing our guest speaker today? I think so. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. All right. So today we welcome a maker whose tools range from chainsaw to scroll saws, a resourceful collector of materials, a well-respected instructor here at Gogglewerks, and an artist who hopes to carry the tradition of woodworking through the everyday uses of implements in the family kitchens. Thank you for joining us today, Luke <laughs> Voitas. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. Very nice. Very the nice. Fun. That's yeah, the use had. of dovetailing into... Uh, <laughs> Into the intro is very, very nice. Well, you might Seamless. get it. I didn't yeah. even catch that. I didn't catch the dovetailing. <laughs> I like the joining, though. It's like the whole uh, mm. preamble was built for me with the mentions of the phone and the beverages opening. I'm over here with my seltzer and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Turning off your this phone. This is different. Seltzers yeah. are allowed in this room. <laughs> so, yeah, I figured woodworking is the, the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> There's a lot of puns. Oh. Oh, yeah, it's endless. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you just start with wood and go from there. It becomes problematic. But, um, yeah, there's a lot a lot to be played with there. But um, Great. This yeah. is going to be a silly one. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, you're a native of Berks County where Natalie gets lost. Um, sure. <laughs> I was not yet in Berks County. <laughs> I was on the outskirts in Lehigh County. Thank you. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, correct the record. Um, your work is like so incredible. It's soft like butter. And I always <laughs> wondered, how did you get into woodworking? And what kind of art were you into before that? Kind of where did it all start? Sure. Um, yeah, I started with an interest in woodworking and building, you know, as a super young kid, I had this uh, plastic hammer that I carried around with me as a toddler. And then my first word was bang, which is what I called the hammer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was immediately had some sort of fixation there. And um, even my mother, she used to, when I was little, she'd drive to like construction sites so that I could watch the working men. Um, so I had this interest at a super young age and even began with um, wee little woodworkers where you would take your toddler and they would, you know, hammer nails into a board and, you know. Oh, wow. Whatever. What? So there was actually a wood shop in my preschool, um, which what? I don't feel like would uh, would be okay anymore. But, yeah, <laughs> there were little tiny saws and hammers. It was, like real ones? Yes. That really begs um, the question, like nature versus nurture. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was incredible. Um, my two older brothers and then my sister also went to this preschool, which um, was run by just like a wonderful woman out of out of her house. And her husband was a builder and tinkerer. So he had actually built all these little shops in the basement. So there was the grocery store and there was the wood shop and the laundromat or whatever else. But it was just a lovely spot. But anyway, so I was doing that. And um, at a very young age, my dad bought me an axe, incredibly young age. <laughs> I think he had a choice to, you know, either purchase a chainsaw or give his precocious child an axe. So he went with the axe, which was cheaper. So um, I would clear all the problem trees out of the yard. Um, and How that old kind of are stuff. you at this point? 
I was very young. Um, he's like, like, what do you he's mean? Like, he's like six. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Um, oh, wow. Whoa. So, and I mean, I already was really into the tools. And by this point I had, you know, I remember even for every show and tell every week, I would bring in something else that I had built. Um, so it might be like a non-functioning guitar or a non-functioning airplane or some sort of non-functioning sliding board, you know, whatever it might be. Um, so I was into that and I was building tree houses all over the property. I had like two-story tree houses with zip lines connecting them. Whoa. So I was doing all of that and I had, you know, an interest in the outdoors and forestry and stuff like that. Um, and then I kind of got away from it a little bit and in high school became more interested in painting and um, photography especially. So that's really what I went to school for. And then um, kind of got back into it because I became more interested in sculpture. And especially I'd be there over the summer sometimes and the wood shop would be open. It was kind of the only facility that was still open. Um, there was material that was free and available. I started getting into woodworking again and the response was really strong and positive. So while a lot of people, you know, in art school were really going heavy into the sculpture and conceptual realm of things, I was doing that a little bit, but I was also building chairs and uh, furniture and dining room tables. And probably what really kind of got me, what elevated, you know, my skills and kind of got me moving in a more professional direction was I was selling furniture at a farmer's market there in town. And people kept telling me, you've got to meet Sean, you know, he's a local timber framer, you know, he builds barns and houses and stuff like that. And one day he came to the farmer's market and he said, you need to come see my shop. You know, we're, we're building houses, but it's like big furniture, you know, you're going to love it. So I went over there and, um, he kind of handed me a chisel and said, well, why don't you try cutting that? So, you know, the next week I was like a pretty much a full-time employee. <laughs> um, so I learned a lot from him and there was another older woodworker who was really terrific. And I did that for a few years and did, was doing all sorts of different things. So yeah, that feel, feels like a long-winded uh, explanation. <laughs> so maybe I'll pause for, for a minute. Crack my seltzer over here. I'm surprised at how young you were. That's like <laughs> wild. Yeah. Well, my sister, who's kind of like an academic, as I was getting into the woodworking, you know, like I had been doing these other things, and she was like, it seems like you have a comparative advantage in the realm of woodworking, or like she had some <laughs> ridiculous, uh, you know, academic description of what was happening but um but it was true I mean I I had certain skills and um I always it what was weird about Alfred University where I went to school was they didn't have a woodworking program huh. so I was really doing a lot of I was a sculpture student doing metal casting and welding and I did do a lot of photography right to the end but um they had a great wood shop, but all of that was kind of self-motivated and, you know, nobody was teaching me anything as a student. So I was kind of figuring it out as I went. And like I said, learned a lot there when I was timber framing and doing cabinets and general construction kind of stuff. I feel like it's easy to kind of pick things up when there was an ax in your hand at 
five or six years old. Like I was kind of kidding, but like really the nature versus nurture thing of like if you're totally. exposed to an environment like that for so long and I imagine you just become predisposed to be able to make those connections quicker when it comes to like actually sure building. Yeah, and I mean I I did have some skill and even like as I was um in middle school or high school, well, I was actually very into the science end of things and like engineering. So I was in science Olympiad and technology student association. So I was doing all of that kind of stuff. And I was kind of like the builder person amongst the group of um, nerds. So that was kind of my role. But um, yeah, I guess it was kind of a natural evolution. And my mother, she would kind of assign me projects, which I didn't enjoy of, you know, building a flower box or something. But she, you know, kind of disguised it as a learning experience, but got a lot of free labor out of me <laughs> that way. But um, yeah, I suppose it, it was a natural evolution and there was kind of that interest and connection to nature and the outdoors and that kind of stuff. Even now with so much of the work I do, it's important like the process and the method by which I'm making the work. You know, recently I got the we got like a toe behind bandsaw sawmill. So basically we're producing all the material that we're using to make product. And I say weird because I bought it with two friends of mine. And it feels it feels like kind of full circle to be all the way back to where I started um, cutting down trees and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting evolution. It's funny that you say that because this past summer I had ran your booth for you at your house for the Hawk Mountain Art Tour. Sure. And I had seen your work from being here at Goggleworks and obviously know you as a teacher and your work, um, just like through that. But something about being out like in the woods where you live Seeing the trees in the forest across the way, knowing that that is the wood that you're literally cutting down to use yeah. for your pieces, and then being like at your mm-hmm. wood shop where you're making it, and then having to tell people about it too and explain it like first person instead of, you know, just sure. like being an observer gave me such a different appreciation for it and was totally full circle in that way. And it was like, it was just such an amazing experience, like being out too in the sure, in sure. the country all day. It was cool. I was there too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was yeah. cool. Yeah, hearing the cows and just like the neighbors come by. Totally. Yeah, it's it's pretty immersive, and yeah. um, it is interesting because now you know working pretty pretty much exclusively there from the house. You know, I don't really see anybody sometimes for a couple of days, <laughs> and um, yeah, the the it doesn't get any more local than what's happening there, which is um, literally like you described, I'm cutting down a dead tree, you know, 200 yards from the shop, pulling it down the hill and um, milling lumber out of it and building stuff or making bowls or doing all that kind of stuff. So that's always been like exciting and interesting. Um, And then also... I'm excited that the environmental impact of my art practice is so minimal. Even like I went to Alfred University, which is the ceramics school, but my practice doesn't involve, you know, the energy and the fuel to heat up a kiln or do, you know, to mine the material out of the earth or something like that. So that's exciting. 
Yeah, you're just straight up taking out the middleman. Like there is no middleman, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, like you're just going right from the source to your buyer, you know, with everything in between. But what does that process look like when you go out into the woods and you select your materials? Like, is that like a, a multi-day thing? Like, is it something that you do over the years? Like you mark off sure. trees and then you come back later when they're ready? Yeah, it can it can look like a couple different things. Um, so, yeah, right the property right next to mine is owned by an older couple and they're just, they treat me, well, I treat them well too, but you know, there's a, a mutual relationship of uh, help and care for each other. So I help them with like some chores and things or tree removal when they have a tree that needs to come down and they allow me to use their couple of acres, um, the walk around and also cut down the occasional tree. So on that hillside, the trees have kind of reached peak maturity and a lot of them are starting to die. In the summer, when the tree, when I can see the crown of the tree and the leaves and that it's dying or whatever, I'll mark it then. And then usually it's preferable to cut the wood in the winter before the sap starts flowing. So um, that's what I did particularly last year. But most of the wood I use, and I mean, it's changed over the years, but almost all the wood I've used is stuff that fell in storms or that um, was taken down because it was threatening a house or something like that. And even one of my friends with the sawmill, he's an arborist. So we'll cut down trees and we can kind of select the best pieces and cut them up. But um, yeah, especially when I was getting into bowl turning and spoon making, those are two things where you're using green wood, so you're literally going right from the fresh cut material into making your final product. So a lot of that stuff was really just pulling wood off the side of the road or knocking on doors when I saw a tree fell in a storm or something like that. A lot of the wood that we um, are cutting or have cut in the last year or two, one of our friends with the sawmill, his family owns a big farm and a tornado touched down a few years ago on the farm and just kind of blasted out a bunch of trees. So we pulled those trees out and milled that up into boards and stuff. So, And he even built a barn based off of that material, which is kind of cool. What yeah. kind of project would you use for like um, material that you let dry out over time? Yeah, so, you know, furniture needs to be dry. So wood, once it's... Once it's cut, it's going to have incredibly high moisture content. Like the, it can have more than 100% moisture, which means the weight of the wood is less than the weight of the water in the wood. But as such, as it dries, it tends to move and crack. So if you're making something that you want to stay flat, like a tabletop or something, it needs to be dry down to like 5 or 8%. Um, so commercially, they'll do this in kilns in kind of a controlled environment and with heat and whatever, we're largely just air drying it um, in a barn or I have like a solar kiln, which kind of uses a little bit of solar energy to raise the temperature up. For something that, you know, you definitely need to stay flat and to not crack because cracking occurs as it dries out, uh, you need that dry wood. So I also do those kind of wacky cutting boards which that wood needs to be absolutely perfectly dry and ready to go and stable. I've kind of been all over the place. In recent years, it has been more of the small items for the kitchen. 
But like I was describing, I was really starting kind of in the furniture area, which at the time felt more sculptural. Now I find I have that sculptural outlet in some of the smaller things. Like every spoon feels like a small sculpture. But now I'm kind of back to a little bit of the furniture because I have, you know, this new resource of the sawmill. You mentioned um, like the bowls and the spoons and the functional items for the kitchen. I know myself personally, and I'm sure a lot of people that have the opportunity to use like wooden materials in the kitchen might be hesitant, um, not knowing how to properly like wash and care for those. You just quickly tell those sure, people. Sure, sure. Like, <laughs> the best way to go about caring for the wood. It's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, typically things that are going to be used in the kitchen, you know, you're using a food-safe oil finish. Um, some of those oils are going to harden in the wood, so they'll be more durable. Some, like mineral oil, don't harden. But mineral oil is very common because you can get it, like, at the grocery store or the pharmacy. So... Typically, you're going to wash your item just with soap and water and allow it to dry in the drain board. You don't want it to be pooled in water or something like that. And then eventually it may start to look dry, at which point mineral oil is often the product people use. Um, I use a lot of stuff from the Real Milk Paint Company, so they have some more durable finishes. Um, and then even... For me, once I sell somebody an item, you know, I don't want to ever hear from them again um, <laughs> unless it's, you know, we want another one of these right. or, you know, this this is the best thing ever. You know, especially for the bowls, I use a pretty indestructible hard wax oil finish. So at that point, the piece is almost like ceramic um, and, it you know, it sheds water like a duck. It's just, it's good. But you still... You're not putting stuff, you know, in the dishwasher or something like that or leaving it in water. Over the years, I've had very few of those instances of people, you know, saying I've got a problem here. But um, one of the times it was a cutting board and, you know, they sent me some pictures and I said, is this, is this in the dishwasher? Because I give people a card with a um, description of how to do it and they said, nah, nah, that wasn't a, in a dishwasher. dishwasher. So I made them a new cutting board, and um, they live nearby, actually. So they, I left it on my porch, and they swapped the cutting boards out. And I showed my friend this cutting board, and he's like, man, this has been in some dishwashers, you know. Like, <laughs> um, but, I mean, wood is a material that's, you know, it's a living material even after it's been cut and it's done with. So... Hmm. Um, woodworkers often say like wood moves, you know, there's going to be changes, the wood is going to patina, but, uh, properly cared for, it should last forever. And I think, you know, I encounter sometimes that people feel reluctant to use like a wooden item for food contact stuff. Like, do I really eat my oatmeal out of this wooden bowl? Yeah. Yeah, you can do it. Um, it's a it's a different experience too. There's a certain warmth to wood that I don't think you have in ceramic or glass. And of course, you know, like hundreds of years ago, if you're like some you know peasant running around and wherever, you know, you've got like a wooden spoon and like you know like some shard of wood that you put some gruel on and eat off of that. So um, we've been doing it for thousands of years. So. Um, you should be good to go. <laughs> That's a good way to put it because I'm totally one of those people. <laughs> like I have one of your bowls and I just oh, look at yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
I don't meant really, to be I, used. I know it's meant to be <laughs> yeah, used, yeah. but I'm also, I don't know. Like, I am that kind in that way. So but that's a good way to put it. Thousands of people before <laughs> me have used wooden bowls. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, I think for me too, some of, um, some of the transition away from more of an artsy practice to more of a crafty practice is to create things that you have a, a different kind of relationship with um, where it is being handled and not just viewed. It's the experience is a little bit different. For sure. I think. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'm like that with all mediums though. Don't worry. It's not just what <laughs> I sure. like struggle to use. Like, I don't know, like the cup I bought in the cup show. Is sitting on the shelf because I like it's also very small. <laughs> so I don't know if I can like really drink out of it. One of these days I will, but it's hard for me. I need to just snap out of that. But it's just so nice. Yeah, I mean I have that too, but it's kind of like a new pair of shoes where mm-hmm. you're like, mm-hmm. I mean I have the problem. I get the new pair of shoes and I don't want to wear them out. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and you know they just some garbage shoes, but then like a. I'll be like, man, I've had these shoes for six months and I've worn them for three hours <laughs> and a rainy day will come and I wear those shoes. Yep. <laughs> so perhaps you need that like rainy I day to break in I the do. bowl. Maybe today will be the day. You're go like making and, some. Go home and use my bowl. Yeah, some sloppy spaghetti <laughs> in your bowl and good to go. <laughs> yeah, you could open. start small. Just put some candies in there. That's yeah. true. That's a good yeah. idea. Some bobby pins in there. Yeah. It, it is holding a lot of my earrings right now. <laughs> oh, so you're using yeah, it. Yeah, I'm using it's it. It's not in a, I don't handle it every day kind of thing. So Luke, you are basically our only teacher here at Goggleworks that teaches on the lathe, which sure. I've kind of learned that woodworkers are either like cabinet makers or they're on the lathe. You're kind of either doing furniture or pieces like that. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, I think it can be. I think there are people who are certainly like turners, you know, that is a skill or, I mean, there's not too many people who do it for a career, but it can be all encompassing as can be cabinet making or furniture or something like that. Um, there is certainly crossover, um, like a furniture maker might make turned legs and stuff like that. But maybe a furniture maker isn't making turn bowls or something like that. Sure. Um, for me, because the evolution has been so odd, it's kind of gone from furniture into furniture is large, and eventually it starts to fill up your house <laughs> um, if you're not selling it, which is, of course, a problem sometimes too. So um, I was making smaller items because I had space for it, for one thing, but it was easier to sell. And um, then I came back to furniture at some point. The lathe has become a specialty for sure. When I uh, started teaching here at Goggleworks, it was, I was teaching all areas. And I think I kind of determined that, well, if one, it was burning me out. Uh, so I decided to kind of, I'm going to stick in this area where I have kind of a lot of control and a level of expertise. Um, but I was not very into the lathe initially and I didn't make bowls for a very, very long time because when I was in college, I, again, I was at Alfred university, everybody's a potter, like the best people at Alfred are making the best pots that anybody's making 
anywhere. So I kind of was like, I'm not going to step into this and try to turn a bowl. And then uh, eventually I, I was running the shop at Alfred University a few years after I graduated. And of course the potters wanted to make pots on the lathe. You know, they were interested in making bowls on the lathe. So I felt like I had to get up to speed there real quick. And that kind of was the initial start to getting into the wood turning more seriously. And I bought an old lathe when I was down here. It was actually in the Lancaster High School for like 40 years. And somebody bought it at auction and I bought it from this guy. And what's nice about the lathe is everything happens kind of on one tool. But I took it up there. I put it in... Um, the back room of my house and I was able to, when I wasn't working, have that kind of creative outlet as well. But it's cool too, that lathe, you know, I don't think I'll ever get rid of that lathe because it's kind of like a beautiful object. But I do a show out in Lancaster and the fire marshal comes around at the start of the show to make sure you have your fire extinguisher in case of out of control blazes. But um, he knows me and he said, I used to turn on a lathe in high school and I showed him a picture of this lathe and he's like, that's my lathe. Oh that my was gosh. the one that I <laughs> that I learned to turn on. So uh, that's one of those odd coincidences. But hmm. um, now he's kind of like endeared to me and um, he hasn't noticed the past two years that I didn't have my extinguisher <laughs> properly displayed. <laughs> got away with some things. Yeah. <laughs> So sure. before the interview, you came around and you dropped off your newest book, The Complete Starter Guide to Wood Turning on the Lathe. I got to say, this is a beautiful book. This is exactly what I would want to see on my bookshelf if I wanted to learn how to turn wood. Can you tell us about this book a little bit? Thanks. Yeah, sure. The book I've been writing for Wood Carving Illustrated and Scroll Saw Woodworking for a number of years. So I think a lot of those articles kind of focused around carving with a wood turning element. And because I've been teaching wood turning for so long, I, it's something that I feel like I've been able to break down pretty effectively. And I have developed a vocabulary to teach people woodworking or wood turning rather. So the publisher and the editor who I've worked with for years, they were looking for a book on wood turning for the beginner. A lot of their books are kind of project-based, which this has those elements, but it's a little bit more in-depth with the other the other areas. But they wanted a book on wood turning. They asked if I could do it, and I said I could. So um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> yeah, um, I wasn't I wasn't sure if I wanted to get into it. Um, it's. It's a tremendous amount. I mean, obviously writing a book is a lot of work. Uh, yeah, it was it was one of those moments where you're kind of assessing your priorities because I was already booked up with um, commissions and jobs for a very long time. So at that moment, I had to kind of make a choice what my priorities were a little bit. And that was when I reduced the amount of time I was spending here at Goggleworks and set out to, to do the book. I don't know if I I don't know if saying it's it was a great experience is is the <laughs> accurate way to describe it. It was challenging, especially because I've made my work and my day is so scattered, and I do so many diverse and different things. 
to have to sit at the computer and you know tap out this book was painful. But um, it was interesting because so much of it was almost verbatim coming right out of the class and going into the book. The other element that was really important to me and where I wanted this to stand out was in the photographs because I think when you're learning wood turning or perhaps any skill, you know, like you can learn wood turning through YouTube or something like that, but I think you, I think having a static guide is nice because you can go back and review certain elements and then also having the photograph that's really up close showing you exactly how the tool is interacting with the wood is really important. So um, the, the photos, I did the photos too, and they were challenging as well because a lot of the time I was turning with one hand and photographing with the other type of thing. But it, it worked out well, and I was, I'm certainly pleased with the end product. So yeah, That's the real deal. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty yeah. impressed. I didn't realize you did this whole thing by yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How long did that take? It happened across a couple of months. I mean, some, probably the full span start to finish. I was working on it for about a year. But most of it happened across probably five or six months where it was just writing and doing the photography. Because also with the photos, to get one photo that represented what I wanted to say or demonstrate, that took, you know, 70 photos. And, you know, I even had, I had two DSLR cameras and one was like with a macro, so that was handheld. And then I had another one like on a boom over the lathe pointing down which was connected to my iPhone so I could focus on the iPhone, um, put it on a self-timer, hit go, and then turn the thing real quick and then the photo would happen. But also that would, you know, 90% of those photos were out of focus. <laughs> um, so it, it took a while. And then, yeah, redoing things too and getting the lighting right and editing and all those other things, so... It's, it was interesting too because, you know, you're involved in the, you know, all the content is mine, but once I sent, I sent a giant Word document to the publisher, to the editors, and then all of these images, but you don't know what it's going to look like physically when it comes back, even when, even when they send you like some proofs or some digital renditions, it's kind of like, well, I think this looks good, but you're still scrolling through it. Um, so once they actually sent me the first copy of the book, I kind of like opened it up and I was like, looks good and closed <laughs> it and forgot about it. I was like, yeah, I, I mean, they did a, they did a good job. Um, and it's interesting too, this publisher has published a lot of the books that were the books that I learned wood turning on. Wow. So David Ellsworth's book, Ellsworth on Wood Turning, was probably the most important book that I read on wood turning. And then I might have six or eight others. So that's pretty cool, though. Same publisher. That's yeah. Neat. yeah. 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 The book is interesting. It, it felt like kind of a feather in the cap type of thing. I didn't mm. really expect to get rich selling wood turning <laughs> books, but um, you never know. 
Well, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, I mean, it's certainly an accomplishment mm-hmm. and something I'm proud of, so, and Very a challenge. Cool. And now cool. it's going to be a staple for all those people learning wood turning when they're six years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, for sure. <laughs> well, Luke, you're an outdoorsy man, so for our last segment, we're going to get in the river for our new segment called Gone Fishing, Keeping It Real. Yeah, we're keeping it real. <laughs> All right, I have the fishbowl. Hear it. Hear it swirl. You can pick out a prompt. Oh, I do the actual fishing. Yes, Very you. nice. And then we'll answer the question. What's a talent or hobby you have that most people don't know about? Oh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, no, we have to answer this, too. <laughs> I know, right? Take a pack of tea. <laughs> 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 I feel like we just talked about your talent and hobby for a long time. Oh, there's gotta so be something else. What else is yeah. there? I don't know. Like once a year, I like to bust out a yo-yo <laughs> and like throw that thing around. But um, can you do the that, walk in the dog? Oh, I can walk some dogs. Okay. Yeah, but. Yeah, the yo-yo fad happened when I was like in elementary school and then I was home for some Christmas and somebody, some sibling gave me like a crappy yo-yo. And I was like, I have a, I have a friend from high school who was like a world champion yo-yo guy. And I was like, well, he could do it. So, um, so I went hard for like one college winter break on this yo-yo. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I throw that yo-yo around. I can double or nothing. (laughs) Okay. I can boinky boing. I can brainstorm. Oh, man. Yep. What about the one where you make like the triangle and then like hangs off? Cat's cradle. (laughs) Yeah. So the next one is going to be be yo-yo manual. (laughs) Make your own and then. I have done make your own. Yeah, I should do it again. But no, I don't have any particular skill at it. But, you know, I can impress a child for, you know, four minutes. (laughs) Okay. I think mine might be, which maybe some people know, um, I'm a pretty good whistler. Oh. Mm. I don't think I did know that. I'm not going to do it here because I feel like it's a little too intense for (laughs) the microphone. But I mean, I know this from observation. Mm, Just by working on the same floor. Heard you whistle. I work in the same office as you and I don't know that I've ever you Where are you paying? You're not paying yeah. attention, Natalie. I guess not. And there was a time where I was practicing circular breathing. So I could like, you know, tuck away some nice air in that cheek and then really get some strong whistles out of that as well. Cool. Thank you. I cannot whistle. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And trust me, I've tried. But don't <laughs> tell me to try. <laughs> some whistling and yo-yo lessons after this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not my ball. No. Uh, a hobby that maybe some people don't know about me is I'm really into my worms. Um, I have a oh. vermicompost system at home, so I feed my worms and uh, make sure their bedding is clean and, <laughs> oh. uh, you know, dispose of any liquid in the in the bin and, yeah, keep them happy. Oh. They eat all my food scraps. <laughs> You've got some red wigglers there. Heck yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. PA's finest. <laughs> <laughs> my mother uh, thought I'd enjoy some worm composting as a child and I was probably at an age where 
worm composting with mom was like not a priority. So, <laughs> you know, after a few weeks, we just had a wet, sloppy Ooh. pile of pile of worms. Fun. Worms. How are you going to top that? I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely don't think I have any skills or hobbies. There's no way. Um, oh, come on. I feel like I've mentioned this before, but like I played several instruments growing up, but I don't play them now, so that feels like a cop-out. But I did play the trombone for a while, just out of the blue. I just started playing the That's trombone. Cool. That was cool. I played the tuba for a spell. Aren't you like tuba goes great with whistling? <laughs> For yeah. sure, we should start a band. Yo-yo yeah. string. I we could we could get something happening. Would you say you're like a wine aficionado? Oh, I would oh. not say that. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I would not say that. I will, however, Good say job. that if you ever do visit me at my part-time job, which is at a winery, I can sound like I'm a wine aficionado. <laughs> okay. I can read real fast. Okay. <laughs> like I can read a book in one sitting usually. Whoa. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah impressive. Okay, that's my skill. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, it I've seen you crush book. some books. You know, yeah, when uh, I worked at the front desk. What do they say? If you've read more than one book in the past year, you're above the curve. There you go. Whoa. I think you crushed that. I think I've crushed that at this point. Thank you for validating me and my skill. Now, now I'm impressed. There it is. <laughs> Either tuba or reading. Take what you want. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Now all the listeners know all of our hidden talents. I know. <laughs> I wish Jay had a brass instrument in here because I would play it. Oh, that would be great. Careful what well, you ask for. <laughs> Bust out the door with the tuba. Yeah. That was the best ever. Oh my god. That would have been so good. And on that note. <laughs> Luke, we thank you so much for being here today. Before we go, can you let people know where to find you on Instagram and where people can buy the complete starter guide to wood turning on the lathe? Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, everything is my name, LukeVoitas.com, at LukeVoitas. Um, yeah, there's lots of lots of stuff there. The book is available wherever fine books are sold. You know, it's there on Amazon or whatever. <laughs> Or, you know, get it at your local bookstore and do it do it the cool way. So thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this has been great. Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us. We're so glad you can make it. Catch us next time on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy this podcast, please like, follow, and leave us a review. If you want to chat with us, email us at youmadeitatgoggleworks.org or catch us on Instagram at Goggleworks. This podcast is sound engineered and edited by Jay Fritschaefer at Pagoda City Records. Music done by Soul Poppy Productions. Thank you to Goggleworks and the creative community that keeps us going. Till next time, this has been You Made It.